The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it and turn there with me. Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to look at verses 14 and 15. I've always found uh, Christmas sermons, Christmas lessons uh, t- to sometimes be hard. <laughs> uh, I-, I think of the best sermons as ones that first and foremost remind you of the gospel, or remind you of what Jesus has done for you. But, but also, I think the best sermons um, draw out a connection or show something that, that I hadn't thought of before, or at least hadn't considered the same way or hadn't thought of in a while. And with a Christmas sermon or even just Christmas lessons, it, it's kind of hard to do that. <laughs> Those of us that are in this room, for the most part, you have heard so many Christmas sermons and Christmas lessons. Most of you have probably read Christmas devotionals and and the the messages in a bunch of the songs that we listen to the whole season. And so Christmas can sometimes uh, be a time that it's really hard uh, to think about presenting a message in a way that that is fresh. And so what I always ask the teenagers every Christmas, and what I'm going to ask you this morning, is to pretend with me. To, for right now, forget. Forget how many times we've heard the Christmas story, how many times we've sung and read and prayed and been told about what Jesus did at Christmas, what God did through Christ for us. Right now, forget all that. And maybe for just a little bit, um, we can together uh, look at it fresh and be amazed by it. Um, I, think, I think I was, was it Katie? I was even joking this morning. Like, Katie was asking if I was going to like, teach her anything this morning. I was like, well, I don't know if I'm really going to teach you anything. I think she said, so like, nothing like, mind-blowing. I was like, well, it actually is mind-blowing. I, I don't know if there's anything that I'm going to teach. I don't know if there's anything that's like, new. I don't think there's anything I'm going to say that most of you didn't already know, but it is mind-blowing. It, it should be. Um, and that's, that's what I hope we can do together this morning. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Just for a second, to make sure we're all on the same page, we're in Genesis chapter 3. God has um, created um, all that is. God has created the world, the universe. God has created man. God has created woman. Um, And then something went wrong, right? God God gave them pretty much one rule. (laughs) They just couldn't eat from a tree. That was it. They had one rule, and yet Adam and Eve disobey. Uh, and, and they disobey through the temptation of Satan, right? Eve listens to Satan, and then Adam listens to Eve, and everybody sins 
um, and disobeys God. And what we find here is God uh, first punishing the serpent, punishing Satan, and then prophesying for us. So before I kind of get into what I want to say and connect this uh, to Christmas, to Jesus, real fast, it's important for us to start at the place where we recognize that there is judgment for sin. Um, even here at the beginning, uh, Satan has sinned. Adam and Eve have sinned. And God, because he's holy, because he's perfect, um, because of their disobedience, um, there is judgment. And none of the Christmas story actually makes much sense um, if we don't start there, if we don't understand our sin, if we don't understand uh, the condemnation, the judgment that has come because of the sin uh, of the world. But then in verse 15, there's this prophecy from God. I will put hostility, enmity, animosity between you and the woman, between Satan and the woman, between your offspring, or your Bible might say seed, and hers, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. There are three things, um, there are three things that God promises here, that God prophesies. The first um, is that there will be this permanent conflict. There will be this permanent conflict between the seed of Satan and, and the seed of, of Eve, the seed of the woman. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, Paul says that if we belong to Christ, uh, we are Abraham's seed. He uses that same word, heirs, according to the promise. So here, the idea is that there are these, there's the devil, right? Um, and I know sometimes it can be a little bit weird to talk about that and think about that, but Satan is real and, and a person um, and active here at the beginning and still to this day. And then there's what God here calls the, the seed of Satan. Um, all of those who do the will of Satan unwittingly most of the time, right? But who in their sin uh, lead people astray. And then there's the seed of the woman, which I think God means to point towards his people, right? Who Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, the church, Christians, you and I, if we're children of God, are our seed, um, our offspring of Eve. And God here in Genesis 3 says that there's going to be this permanent conflict. And we see that conflict played out all through the pages of the Bible, first, right? All through the Old Testament, you have God's people at war and in hostility uh, with those, with idol worshipers around them, with pagans around them, right? They're held in captivity in, in Babylon, in Persia, in Egypt, right? There's this conflict between seed of Satan and the, and the seed of the woman, the seed of God, God's people. And then in the New Testament, you see the same thing quickly. Even after Jesus ascends, the church is almost immediately and under great persecution, right, uh, from the Romans. And then throughout history, that has played out. There's this permanent conflict uh, between Satan and the church. And again, that can sometimes sound a little bit weird to say, but it plays out in lots of uh, real-life examples. And it even, um, it even affects us as, as individuals, you, you and I, the Bible tells us, as individuals, are in a conflict with powers of darkness. Right? That's, that's how the Bible puts it. There are, um, there's Satan and there's darkness in the world uh, that you and I, as God's people, again, as the offspring of Adam and Eve, uh, we are in this conflict with that. And, and we, we will be. 
And then here's the second thing. God promises this permanent conflict, and God even promises, tells us that there will be temporary defeat. Right? Uh, Satan, Satan's seed will strike the heel, right, of the woman's seed. There, again, if you think about first the pages of the Bible, not only is there this conflict between God's people and, and darkness around them, but also, like, it looks like they're losing a lot, <laughs> right? Uh, again, think of Egypt and, and Babylon, Israel. It, they're God's people. They're God's people, and yet they find themselves oftentimes in captivity, um, being persecuted. Um, there are times in the Old Testament where even, even the God-fearing Israelites are crying out to God because God feels absent, right? Because promises feel abandoned. And then, as we think about Christmas right now, most of you might know, you know, there's like four centuries of what looks like silence between Malachi and the coming of Christ. So even, even then, there's like 400 years where you have to believe that so many of God's people felt that kind of temporary defeat. And then that does, I think, extend to the lives that you and I live. So even if, even if this morning, which I hope and pray most of you are, you're a child of God, you have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you believe in what he did for you and does for you and will do for you, and yet, on any given day, we have all kinds of defeats, all kinds of defeats. We, we cause some of them, we sin, we mess up, we don't live up to the standard God has given us. Things happen to us, right? we're not always the cause of these defeats, there's, there's tragedies, there's sorrows all around us, and all of that is part of what I think is prophesied right here. All of that, in some way, is Satan striking the heel of God's people. Again, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that Satan as a person is always the one that, you know, doesn't mean Satan put his finger on your car and made it break down, right? I don't, I don't mean that. But it does mean that all of the darkness, all of the sin, all of the sorrow, all, all of the tragedy um, that you and I face on a daily basis was promised here as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve and, and is the result of you and I sinning. Again, it doesn't mean, I don't know why I'm focused on a car breaking down. Maybe that's happened to me too often. But that was the, that's the example that popped up back into my head again. Uh, it doesn't mean that if my car breaks down on the way home, it's because I you know, said something mean to Isaiah this morning. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't always mean that. But it does mean that just all of the things that we think about as wrong with the world are because of sin, because of the sin of humanity, um, because God um, in his righteousness and in his holiness uh, the, the world has been cursed because of this first sin and then because of the ongoing sin of, of even his, his own people. And so you and I, as we're in this permanent conflict, we experience these temporary defeats. You can even look again at the life of Jesus, right? We're going to bring this back to Christmas here in a second. This morning uh, in our student life group, we're in Matthew chapter 4, um, where Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And, right, and the, the life of Jesus is 
full of what looks like defeats, right? Um, Jesus comes to his own, and his own don't receive him. Um, Jesus um, isn't accepted. Jesus eventually is murdered, right? Is put to trial and then put to death, which perhaps more than anything else looks and feels like a defeat, right? That, that may be the, the most specific thing that God is prophesying here, that, that Jesus, as a seed of Eve, as an offspring of a woman, Jesus um, was killed, suffered a defeat, a temporary one, right? Uh, a death. But then that leads to the, the third thing here. There's this permanent conflict that's promised. There's a temporary defeat. But, but even right here in Genesis 3, there's a promise of eventual victory, right? That, that even, though, even though God has said Satan and Satan's offspring, powers in the world will, will strike the heel of God's people, in the end, Satan's head will be struck. And I, I don't know about you, but injuries to your heel, they can hurt. They can hurt really bad. Um, I've actually not experienced one that bad, but you know, tearing your Achilles is, I think, one of the worst things that can happen. It looks that way. You know, I coach a bunch of stuff and ankle sprains and even torn ACLs. People come back from, but tearing your Achilles is sometimes like it shuts even professional athletes down for good. Um, so a heel injury can be bad. The things that you and I face every day can can be bad. The sins that we commit can be great. They're still, they're still all heel strikes compared to the eventual victory that we have, right? The eventual defeat that Satan will have because head injuries are much worse, right? That's the image that I think God is trying to give us here in Genesis chapter 3, that even though, even though Satan and the powers of darkness and forces of evil in the world, even though they'll strike the heel of God's people, of Jesus himself, in the end, in the end, the head of the serpent, the head of Satan, an image for these powers of darkness, for sin itself, um, will be forever defeated. That's the promise that we have, and that's the promise of Christmas. God, looking at this conflict, looking at our need, sent Jesus, God the Son, God himself, not, not even as a conquering king, but as a little baby, to be obedient, to suffer a lot of little defeats, right? <laughs> to go through a lot of stuff that wasn't good, that didn't look like victory, that to the disciples didn't feel like victory, may even be right to say Jesus himself didn't feel like victory. Jesus suffered, right? Jesus suffered. And yet, he did all that so that we could have victory for all of eternity. And then I have three ways that I want to maybe try to apply this. What that means for us, this conflict and this idea that we're going to have these temporary defeats, and yet the promise that we're going to have eventual victory, I think it calls for three things. Uh, first, you and I need to continue to fight the good fight. Recognize that the Christian life is one of conflict. Recognize that even though the Christian life is one of victory and abundance, both now and for eternity, 
it is also one of struggle and, and conflict. Um, and it's okay, good for you and I to admit that, to recognize that, to come to terms with that. The Bible over and over again warns us that we will have trouble, uh, that we will have struggles, that we will have obstacles, and it challenges us not to, not to seek to live in a way that avoids them, because you can't. You'll just fail at that. But to instead, in the power of the Spirit, with the truth of the Word of God, with faith in Jesus, fight through. Make it to the end. Second, and kind of similar, it's a, it's a reminder that those fights, those struggles, in the end produce things that are good for us. Right? It's even a, a simple, almost secular sounding thing to say there's no, there's no progress without pain. Right? That there's no um, improvement. There's no movement forward without some struggle, without some setbacks. And again, I think all the way back here in Genesis 3, where God says that the heel of the seed of the woman will be struck by Satan, God is telling us that that is true. <laughs> right? That there are defeats that will happen, that there are pains that will be caused in our lives. Um, and yet, and yet, we should be focused on eternity. We should be focused on the victory that we have. It may not, it may not be fully realized yet, but we have it. We, we have victory. And, and so, we can fight through all of the things that, that happen in our lives. And then, and then finally, I just want to make sure that we end by recognizing that ultimately, this is all about Jesus. <laughs> that ultimately, even though, even though this morning I want us to try to, in this little prophecy in Genesis 3, think about ourselves and think about the lives that we live and think about how God is speaking to us and about us, and, and He is. Ultimately, from Genesis chapter 3 to the end of the Bible, from the beginning of human history to the end of it, it's all about it's all about Jesus. And I hope that this morning, even though it's something we've heard a thousand times, even though even like even me saying it again sometimes feels like dumb and useless. <laughs> like we all know this. Like what? Why am I telling you this? Christmas is a really good time um, because it's everywhere. The story is everywhere. Um, the story is one that even people who aren't really Christians have latched onto because the story is so beautiful and poignant, right? Um, it's a good time for you and I to really meditate on what God has done. That the same God that created everything, that is so powerful, He created the entire universe, created all that is, all that will be, and that even though mankind, Adam and Eve, you and I, disobey Him, Sin, almost without end, right? Every day, we, we disobey that God who created us, even though that's true. God, from the beginning, had a plan. And that plan involved a little tiny baby, born in a little manger, in the middle of nowhere, at a time when no one was paying attention, the prophets had been silent for 400 years, the Romans didn't know what to expect, in a little town called Bethlehem, God came as a man. 
lived a life that was perfectly obedient, even in the face of lots of struggles and adversity, died for you and for me to atone for our sins so that we can now have a relationship with God the Father, have Jesus united with us, have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and have abundant life and victory forever and ever. That's the message of Christmas, starting in Genesis chapter 3. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, um, again this morning, as we gather here on this Lord's Day to worship you, to thank you for all that you've done, I do pray that all of us here would really, truly remember what this season is about, what Christmas is ultimately about. Even, even as people that are in church on this Sunday morning, uh, we can still uh, get distracted. We can get distracted by all the other great things that happen this time of year. All the times we're spending with our families, all the, the extra things that are going on, some of them good, some of them probably stressful. God, I pray that you would help our hearts, our minds, our souls uh, to focus on you, um, to not be led astray by all those other things, but to instead know that Christmas is the story of what Jesus has done for us. And God, I also pray that as you've promised, we, we do face a lot. Um, we face a lot of struggle. We face a lot of disappointments. We, we face a lot of sin in our lives. And God, I pray that your spirit um, would help us, would give us strength, would cause us to rely on you, to turn to you, to meditate on the truths that you've given us, and to continue uh, to fight the good fight of faith um, all the way to the victory that you've promised for all of eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Uh, if you would stand, and, and as we sing, as we do every Sunday morning, if there is... Um, if there's any need in your life, feel free to come and pray here. Um, I'm more than willing to pray with you. If there is somebody this morning that maybe you have heard that story a thousand times, but never really accepted it, never really believed it with your heart, pray that this morning will be the morning you do that and come and we can pray with you and help lead you through that. If you're thinking about uniting with our church, uh, come and we can have a conversation about that. I encourage you. If there's any business with the Lord that you need to have done, do it now as we sing and come forward if you need some help with it.